when you lose someone, it hurts. You can lose money. You can lose your job. You can even lose your health. You can lose things or possessions, and it's hard. But none of these losses compare with what we feel when we lose someone. Whether we lose a loved one because they pass away, whether we lose friendship, um, whether we lose someone because of a breakup or, or divorce, whether we lose someone because they move away, whether we lose someone because they're even just temporarily away, for us, away from us for a season. The, the pain, the depth of feeling, uh, the grief, the sense of loss is more than almost any other kind of loss. Why? Why is that? And then when you're, when, when you're with someone that you love and care about and who loves and cares about you, your joy is also made more full. You can stand at the top of a mountain and, and look out and wonder at the views alone. Uh, you can stand on the beach and watch and experience a, a gorgeous sunset all by yourself and still feel incredible happiness and joy, but when you're experiencing those very same things with someone else, alongside someone else, your joy and your happiness is magnified. Why? Why is that? And then there's this innate desire to be accepted, to be a part of something larger than ourselves, to, to look for a community that that embraces us, that loves us, that allows us to contribute in meaningful ways. Why do people join gyms? Is it just for the exercise? Why do people join softball teams when they pull a muscle just getting mail from the mailbox? Why do people go to trivia night at the local bar? Why do teens join gangs? Why do people join civic organizations? Why do people spend hours on their smartphones scrolling through Facebook? Why is that? The answer to all of these is, is rather simple. We were created for relationship. And this basic truth about what it means to be human is introduced in the opening pages of the Bible. Genesis says, this is us. We are relational creatures made to be in relationship with God, with, with each other, and with the rest of creation. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us and transform us so that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Reading this morning comes from Genesis, uh, the second chapter. I invite you to listen for God's word. The heavens and the earth and all who live in them were completed. On the sixth day, God completed all the work that he had done. And on the seventh day, God rested from all the work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work of creation. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. On the day the Lord made earth and sky, before any wild plants appeared on the earth and before any field crops grew, because the Lord God hadn't yet sent rain on the earth and there was no, still no human being to farm the fertile land, though a stream rose from the earth and watered all the fertile land, 
The Lord God formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land and blew life's breath into his nostrils. The human came to life. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and put there the human he had formed. In the fertile land, the Lord God grew every beautiful tree with edible fruit, and also he grew the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows from Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides into four headwaters. The name of the first river is the Pishon. It flows around the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. That land's gold is pure, and the land also has sweet-smelling resins and gemstones. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It flows around the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, flowing east of Assyria, and the name of the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the human and settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it. The Lord commanded the human, Eat your fill from all the garden's trees, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day you eat from it, you will die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the human is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. So the Lord God formed from the fertile land all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky and brought them to the human to see what he would name them. The human gave each living being its name. The human named all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, all the wild animals, but a helper perfect for him was nowhere to be found. So the Lord God put the human into a deep and heavy sleep and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh over it. With the rib taken from the human, the Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the human being. The human said, This one finally is bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. She will be called a woman because from a man she was taken. This is the reason that a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife and they become one flesh. The two of them were naked, the man and his wife, but they weren't embarrassed. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week, we, we talked about how Genesis introduces us to a fundamentally relational God. So it really shouldn't come as a surprise to us that if God is relational, if God exists as a perfect relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we're made in God's image, then that means that we, too, are fundamentally relational. There in the beginning was God, singular and plural, who created us, singular and plural, in God's image. And in that relationship, we were exactly as we should be. We are created for relationship because we are created from a relationship and are invited into that relationship. Remember, God created in order to be able to enter into relationship with what God made. God created human beings, and then on that very first Sabbath day, uh, God rested to enjoy and spend time with what God had made. So not, not only did God enjoy what God had made, but the creatures that God made enjoyed and savored a relationship with God too, including God's image bearers, human beings, made to be in relationship with God. So it's, it's, it's from the outset that, that we are wired to get our worth and our security and our meaning and our purpose from outside of ourselves. From the God who created us and who sustains us. It's why there are echoes of a divine voice calling, beckoning, evident in so many things, in our longing for justice, in the quest for spirituality, in our delight of beauty, and so many other things like that. 
all of those things point to a deep desire in our DNA for a relationship with God. Furthermore, if we are to to steward and rule the world on God's behalf with creativity and love, then that requires a close connection to a relationship with the God that we're supposed to be representing. We were created to be in relationship with God. But not just God. We were also created to be in relationship with the rest of creation. Remember, God placed the human being in the middle of a garden, the very embodiment of of creative potential, and and told him to, to cultivate and care for it. God, in effect, said, here, I'm giving you all of this. Take care of it. Do good with it. And in chapter 2, which is the creation story from, from another angle, we see the, the Adam, the human, the human being, participating with God in the naming of, of creatures. In chapter 1, this was something that, that God had done that indicated that God wanted to be with what God had made, to have a relationship with what God had made. And here we see Adam now joining with God and delighting in the world around him and naming things too. All of this points to the truth that not only are we created to be in relationship with God, we're also created to be in relationship with the rest of creation too. I think we know this deep down. We know how dependent we are upon the earth to survive and live. We know how the earth depends upon our careful stewardship to sustain all of life. We know that we're made from the same stuff that makes up the stuff out there. Genesis 2 describes uh, God creating the human by taking dirt and, and breathing life, God's breath, into it. I mean, we don't even know how special pets are to us, right? It's because a fundamental part of what it means to be human is to exist in relationship with the rest of God's creation. We don't exist in independent isolation from it. And that truth carries over most completely to us, other human beings. We were created to be in relationship with others. There is a reason that people need people. If you look at the creation accounts in Genesis and all of the repetition, there's one very interesting one that happens. You'll notice that God calls what God made good over and over again. Good. Seven times, in fact. And the Hebrew word is tov, and it can also be translated as as it should be. As it should be. The light, good. The earth and the seas, good. The plants and the trees, good. Stars, good. Fish and birds, good, as they should be. Wildlife, all crawling things, good. Humanity, very good. And then in the middle of chapter 2, for the first time, God notices something is not good. All these things good, then something is not good. Not tov, not as it should be. God has placed the, the Adam, Adam, the human, in the middle of the garden. God says it is not good that the human is alone. It is not good that the human is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. Everything that God has made is is as it should be, except 
it's not good that Adam is alone without another human companion. We were never made to be alone. God recognizes from the start that people need people. And so God makes it happen. The, the, humans, the humans not being alone corresponds with God's not being alone. Notice even the details, right, of God uh, taking a rib from the man to create a woman. And this is not as much about hierarchy as it is about the bond, the special kind of relationship that exists between people. All right, this, this relationship is different than human and plant or animal. God didn't take a, a limb from a tree. God didn't take a, a rib from an animal. God took a rib from another human, right? So it's, it's clear that this is a different and special kind of relationship between human beings. It's also clear that the relationship between human beings is a kind of a bond that involves more than just procreation, but also companionship and partnership and mutual help. No wonder, right? Adam cries out, at last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There is something about a relationship with another human being that is special and different, that is as it should be. Whether that relationship is kinship, marriage, friendship, this is us, made for relationship. No wonder, right, that Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor. No wonder we celebrate every Sunday a meal we call communion, which is basically a synonym for relationship. And we pray in that, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. This is the heart of what it means to be human. This is us. And it's everything. It means God is calling us into community, into relationship with one another for our good and to be made more whole. It is still not good for us to be alone. Our relationships with our kids, our parents, our spouse, our coworkers, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our neighbors, even our enemies matter. Matter. And yet psychiatrists and sociologists alike agree that we are and have been for some time in the midst of a loneliness epidemic. I was actually reading the results from a Harvard report this week. Uh, it concluded that an alarming number of Americans are lonely. According to their survey of 950 Americans, 36% of respondents reported feeling lonely almost all of the time or all of the time in the prior four weeks. A startling 61% of young people ages 18 to 25 and 51% of mothers with young children reported these miserable degrees of loneliness. Not surprisingly, the survey respondents also reported substantial increases in loneliness since the start of the pandemic. While 36% of survey respondents reported feeling this serious loneliness all of the time, or almost all of the time, an additional 37% of respondents reported feeling lonely occasionally. Loneliness in the survey also didn't seem to spare any major demographic group. Among the survey respondents, there were no significant differences in rates of loneliness based on race, 
or ethnicity or level of education or religion or income or where people lived. Maybe that's because our relational identity doesn't spare any demographics either. It's just what it means to be human. If, if so many people are lonely and we're created to be in relationship with others, it's clear that we have work to do. We have work to do to restore our commitment to each other. Loneliness is an indicator of our collective moral health. We need to return to the truth introduced in Genesis. We are relational beings made to be in relationship with others. We have commitments to ourselves, certainly, but we also have deep and vital commitments to each other. But it's hard. For one, living out our identity as people made to be in relationship with others in the midst of a culture and society that idolizes independent individualism can be like swimming against the tide. There is such a strong emphasis on the individual that it sometimes becomes its own idol, its own image, distracting us from bearing God's image, from being relational. We're influenced heavily by an understanding that what it means to be a person is to be primarily an independent individual substance. In this age of of hyper-individualism, the way, the degree to which we have elevated self-concerns and self-advancement over and, and devalued concerns for many communities has left people disconnected. That's not who Genesis says that we are. That's not how Genesis defines what it means to be a person. Genesis says a person is a relational being. A person is someone who exists in relationship to God, others, and the rest of the world. In other words, it's not really just you sitting here. It's not really just me standing up here. It's all the relationships that have and continue to make us who we are. It's not just me standing up here. It's my parents. It's my wife. It's my kids. It's my brother. It's my friends, past and present. It's the church I grew up in and so many other relationships. You, I, we are never not in relationship. It's just oftentimes we're not intentional about about flexing that innate part of who we are, not intentional about cultivating and nurturing our relationships, not intentional about creating community, creating belonging, making friends, seeking to be reconciled, forgiving, letting our guard down enough to be in relationship with others. That's the other tricky part, isn't it? Relationships are not inherently safe. They can be good. They can be a means by which God is seeking to make us more whole. But that doesn't mean they're completely safe. C.S. Lewis famously said something to the effect that the only place outside of heaven where your heart can be and not have the chance to be broken is hell. It's true that, that, that real pain comes sometimes from people from whom we expected real support. Jesus himself experienced that, and yet Jesus did his ministry with other people. 
even Jesus was not alone. Being made to be in relationship with others means being able to give and receive love, and that requires vulnerability. Is it worth it? But friends, here's what I know to be true from my life. When I think about the moments or the seasons that have been the most difficult in my life, sharing the struggles of family members, a brother who died at birth, back-to-back miscarriages, the death of my grandparents, this season of ministry with COVID, what has saved me has not been as much neatly packaged theological truths or bullet points of belief, but people. Relationships genuine enough to bear the weight of what I was going through. Someone to cry on, someone to rely on, someone to hold my hand, someone to carry the, the, the torch of faith, to touch my woundedness with a tender hand. A relational God who ministers through relational people. And I realize I'm a person made in God's image. I'm created for relationship. I, I need people. And the same goes for moments that have been the most joy-filled and wonderful, from marrying Lauren to having three boys to getting to baptize and marry people uh, to enjoying Duke basketball games to traveling to amazing places to sharing Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner uh, with family uh, to Village Church Rollsville beginning. What, what has made them all amazing isn't just the experiences themselves but those experiences shared with other people together in relationship. And and I realize I'm a person made in God's image, created for relationship. I, I need people. And you are too. And you need people too. And people need you. This is who we are. We are relational. We need one another. Genesis is clear. It's better for us to journey through the valleys with others than to stand on the mountaintops alone. People need God. People need people. This is us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.